from six on two FM. Yes, well, a big Gurramila Mahagwiv to the two Johnnies for keeping us entertained uh, this afternoon. It is Thursday, the 20th of October. I'm Shane Dawson, and you're listening to Game On. David Snade is in studio to talk English, Premier League, and more as Manchester United land another significant win. I think what we have seen today was... Um uh, 11 players who defend, 11 players who attack and there was a lot of dynamic and there was a lot of dynamic in, um, in the attack as well so and I'm pleased with that and, uh, but I will not say that, you, that I'm totally satisfied uh, because good is not good enough that has to be the standard here in United Bernie Jackman will be alongside David to set us up for Leinster versus Munster. We've Shane Stokes in the prospect of a Tour de France return to Ireland. And Colin Keyes will be chatting GAA disciplinary issues, I should say, and all the rest of uh, the day's news. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet us at GameOn2FM. GameOn2FM. Yes, hello, hello there. Good evening. Bernie Jackman, David Snade, how are you both? Good, thank you. Good, Good David. Good yeah. evening. Good. I can't even get my words out, David. I think I'm still uh, getting over. This is the first time we're chatting since uh, a certain League of Ireland semi-final FAI Cup. You know, oh, I think yeah. that's why I'm going to put down my uh, mispronunciations and misspeaking due to just... Well, I can uh, only imagine how you were speaking on Monday, considering <laughs> the match was on Sunday. I wasn't. That's why I wasn't here. <laughs> uh, we will be chatting uh, football um, in a while, but uh, some latest news from the Manchester United debacle that you were just mentioning there before we came on air regarding a certain Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, like, it's just interesting, just just an absolute circus continues. Like, obviously, you would have saw last night when he kind of went down the tunnel with about two or three minutes to go, and it kind of seemed as if maybe he threw a bit of a strop because he wasn't getting brought on. But then, earlier on this afternoon, like, the, the Daily Mail in England were reporting that he actually was asked to come on and then refused. And then literally, just before we came on air there two seconds ago, United released a statement just confirming that he's not going to be involved in the match day squad for their United's match with Chelsea on Saturday, but also won't be training with the, with the first team. So it's just like listen, it's clear he's wanted out from, from the summer. No one really wanted him, despite what people have been saying about we had offers and all the rest of it, but mm. there was nothing serious uh, for him. You know, it have been lumbered with him and he's just kind of acted the acted the maggot, as mm. my nana would have said, and he's now getting his come uppins and a good just turn come uppins. That's a good good follow up come uppins and acting the maggot. I know, I'm yeah, that, yeah, that. but it's just it just it'd be difficult because it's like be difficult to see how he's going to come back from this now with United, especially with a manager who, up until this point, has kind of actually dealt with the situation very well. Mm. You know, like he hasn't been, but it's been a bit of a battle, battle of wills between the two of them. There was that point after the Manchester derby when United were absolutely annihilated by City, and Ten Hag actually came out and said he actually had too much respect for Ronaldo in his career to bring him on in that situation. And then when he does ask them to come on in the game when they're comfortable tilling it up, the way Spurs were playing, there could have been a couple of goals for Ronaldo even in those maybe last 10, 15 minutes and he refuses so it's uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it later but it just seems mm. to be a case that this is a battle that he's not going to win with the new manager Interesting times ahead so plenty of uh, high profile departures over in England uh, today David as you mentioned we will be chatting uh, football a little bit later on Bernard Jackman to uh, take a rugby ag- angle has there been any players that you've managed or coached or played with in the past that have been sent or banished from first team training? Um, yes but not for not, for, not for the same reasons not for the same reasons look it's, it's disappointing because I thought when Ronaldo came on uh, recently, he did quite well, mm. and and did the Hag um, spoke nicely about him, and and especially when the team is doing well, you think he would understand it. But it's going to end 
end it's going to end badly you know it's a pity given what he's given to United um, last season and obviously in his first stint um, but look at you're dealing with massive egos you're mm-hmm. dealing with uh, a team of advisors and yeah he'll find another club and he'll 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 be good there probably as well but that's it it's just like you think about like he's been he has him and Messi have been the two best players yeah. in the world he's mm. been one of, he's one of the greatest players of all time and it's been a privilege to see what he's done and you look at how teams have been kind of moulded around them pretty much for the last decade where even at Madrid it was he was the focal point everything was done to get the best out of him but he's 37 years of age now like he's been so used to everything working around him and revolving around him and that's still how he's kind of actually acting and, and behaving and it's just it's just not acceptable now, especially with, with how United have are trying to go now and get away. Like if this had been maybe three, four, five years ago, this kind of stuff would actually be indulged at United, whereas now it's not. Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, Pep Guardiola has a fellow Manuel Estierta. He's a former water polo player who he brings with him. From he brought him from Barcelona to Bayern Munich, and now he's at Man City, and he calls him his his guardian angel. But uh, he he was he the most famous water polo player ever in Spain. He went to four Olympics. Sorry, captain Spain of four Olympics in water polo, and went to five. And his job is to basically um, watch the players when Pep's not around. Uh, so he's called a people coach. But um, his first job for Pep Guardiola was the first match Pep was on the sideline watching the game and you know he's very animated but Manuel Estierta was watching the bench to see who was actually genuinely happy when Barcelona or when oh, Barcelona yeah. scored or who was um, annoyed when their player in their position yeah. did well, did did badly but his big thing is he says oh talent will get you into our dressing room but your attitude will decide how long you stay there and you know obviously unfortunately for Ronaldo um, or his attitude is, is basically deciding that he won't stay there you know because mm. he well, certainly has talent or had talent there's, there's, there's definitely a joke to me there water polo and keeping your head above water you know, and just, <laughs> yeah. just well you've, you're sinking about, ship you've about 15 minutes to think of it David <laughs> we'll be chatting soccer a little bit later on and Bernard Jackman will be chatting rugby but if you come out with more gems like that you might be joining the, the soccer <laughs> conversation oh, I'm, I'm right out of soccer knowledge <laughs> <now>. <laughs> you've peaked too soon uh, well there's plenty to look forward to uh, in the URC um, so uh, David and Bernard uh, you can uh, stick the feed up uh, Arsenal are kicking off against PSV so uh, you can uh, both enjoy that as we turn our attention to uh, uh, Gaelic Games because uh, Colm Keyes um, the Irish Independent GA correspondent uh, joins us now um, Colin, thanks uh, for taking uh, the call or Colm I should say um, listen obviously the news headline today um, that has been doing the rounds and there's been plenty of statements going back and forth and it circles around the wider conversation of GA disciplinary issues and I suppose the story in a nutshell for, for those who may have missed it today is that the Mayo County Board are liaising with both the Connacht Council and Croke Park relating to an incident during a recent under-17 club game in the county. An altercation between a Westport man and a Castlebar Mitchells player led to the individual concern being hit with a 96-weeks suspension and the Westport club being thrown out of the competition. However, Westport won an appeal and have been reinstated and the suspension has been cut to just two games. Castlebar, not surprisingly, are unhappy with this and have written to the relevant GA boards as well as to Tusla, uh, the state child and family agency um, and to GAH. HQ and, and so on. So, Colm, it's listen. We're, we're not going to get bogged down too much with the the intricacies of of the story. But like for people looking on, there's a big difference between two matches and 96 weeks. Yeah, huge divergence here. And I suppose from uh, a GAA point of view, uh, it's probably worth laying out just the way the way the disciplinary system works. That the initial 96 weeks for the individual would have been 
put in place by the Competition Controls Committee. They're the investigative body. They act on the referee's report. They may also review any available video evidence there is. They consider uh, the evidence as they have chiefly from those two outlets and they lay a charge in accordance with the rule. The maximum suspension for anybody in the GAA is 96 weeks. So, all told, whatever the CCC in Mayo saw or whatever evidence they have, we don't know how to have access. They obviously deemed it very serious to give the maximum ban. But everybody's entitled to a defence and the proposal can be either accepted, in this case it, it wasn't, and uh, the individual in question exercises right to a hearing and to bring his own evidence into this, and it ended up being a two-match ban. Now, there's quite a divergence there, and that's something, obviously, uh, out from all the other concerns that have been expressed and obviously contact made with Tusla and Connacht GA and Kropak. Outside all of those, that divergence there, probably for the GA is a concern in that two different bodies Two bodies within the disciplinary framework uh, are looking at the evidence and interpreting it, obviously, in in different ways. So from that point of view, it's just another layer of uh, difficulty, I suppose, for the GAA in trying to get to grips with discipline and how to deal with discipline. And I suppose, overall, it just hasn't been a good year administratively even. You know, you saw during the summer where they, uh, it was Galway and two, a Galway hurler and two Clare hurlers got off on technicalities when really you would have thought acceptance of penalties certainly in the Galway case would have been, would have been probably the right course of action. But they got away on, uh, the, the, it's, I suppose it's the willingness of counties to challenge and clubs to challenge that it all throws it into the mix, Shane, really, that there is, there is a lot of chaos. And I think in the last number of weeks we have seen that chaos on the sidelines spilling into the pitches as well. Is that chaos going to continue unless there's more communication from GAHQ and more leadership perhaps? Would that be fair to say in, in terms of how counties should structure themselves with, with these disciplinary panels? Uh, I think I think it needs a reset and that reset probably began last week with the, res- the launch of the Respect a Referee Day. There has been obviously a number of high-profile incidents uh, with physical aggression and alleged assaults against referees, obviously, in in uh, in Wexford. And then there was a case in Roscommon before that. There was a couple of cases in Wexford, actually. I have to say, Wexford County Board, uh, they dealt with it particularly well. Uh, the chairman there, Michal Martin, called the meeting, brought in referees and propo- proposed a suite of proposals around Education and obviously uh, Wexford want the 96-week ban lifted, uh, lifted upwards so that it could even incorporate a life ban for anybody who assaults a referee uh, on, on the upper end. Obviously, on the more on the more serious cases there. So all round, really, there needs to be a reset, and I think it probably started with the respect to referee. Then to continue highlighting it that there is a problem down the road for for the GA and that. The number of people willing, if this keeps up, willing to actually put their hand up and say, I want to referee a game, a lot of people would be saying, that's not worth it. I, I read in the Mayo News this week, Dermot Butler, the Secretary of Mayo, and his comment was in, in, in an interview was, I wouldn't referee a game for all the tea in China. I think he said something like that. Like, that's a real concern when a top official in Mayo even recognises that you know he wouldn't put him, so he wouldn't walk in a referee's shoes either. And I think a lot of us are the same, that it is... 
there's a lot of conflict out there and there's a lot of aggression towards referees and uh, I really think it is a problem and the number of incidents involving you know people come in and off the line and uh, matches being abandoned underage matches which you know which is something you know you would see this in waves that there will be especially when the, the the number of club games at this time of year I've seen it in the past where there will be a cycle of these incidents and there will be you know rows between rival teams and supporters may get involved what I've noticed recently is that there's a lot more underage games coming into focus in that regard and there's been matches abandoned in uh, in in Kerry there's been further incidents in Waterford and now we have this this Mayo incident as well so uh, it is it is a real concern at the moment and I know there is there would be disquiet uh, a lot of disquiet administrative level over this too the Respect the Ref campaign is obviously a very commendable campaign uh, initiated by the GAA and there's been plenty of social media videos and plenty of information during the rounds as well but like surely that can only be the starting point like a lot more has to be done now in order to not only protect current referees but as you mentioned there to encourage new people to become referees and to want to take up officiating because it, and, it, and you say as well it's not just a refereeing issue as well it's a wider issue as well and that's what I can't wrap my head around like for, for yourself who's covered Gaelic games for so so long I mean I, I don't understand how or why these incidents are happening well, I suppose it's uh, maybe you know maybe it's following maybe it's following it's a societal thing that people are willing to challenge and social media plays its part in that too. I think people are willing to challenge. Everybody wants the last word and everybody wants that all the time, and that that transcends into the heated atmosphere of a sports pitch. Now it seems to be more prevalent maybe in Gaelic games than some other sports. Although soccer has a lot of its problems too, as we saw with the referees strike at the end of last year that actually prompted an Oireachtas committee to, to delve into that and they issued their findings uh, with uh, around a report around for abuse and officials last June uh, in uh, just gone by and their findings and that may go to legislation in the coming months too but generally there seems to be a, a there seems to be a higher number uh, certainly in this in this current cycle and there's just that willingness to challenge all the time and challenge suspensions, challenge referees' decisions and get that final word across. And I think really, I think maybe the solution is to punish the clubs, even though you are punishing some innocent people and all of this and teams, but putting teams out of competitions, I think uh, is a way to go here. It's maybe a nuclear option, but it really, to send a message across to lift the 96-week ban, to put it up to life bans if, if required, and to redraw, to redraw the rules about, around abuse to, towards officials and, and, and referees because I, I really think they need to get tougher and harder and send that message across. It's come to that. Realistically, do you think that will, will occur, will happen? In, in I do, yeah. I think, I think the 96-week ban will be lifted. I think it will be lifted at Congress next, uh, next year. I think also the, the facility to remove teams will become a lot more clearer as to as the mechanism, first of all, and the criteria as to where and how. I think all that needs to be spelled out for county boards so that they can refer to it. You know, maybe there's a a series of warnings for a club that continuously, continuously crosses the line in this regard, that they are not, that they are not keeping their members in check. And I think that message would have to go across that there there could be some warning system for for a club that uh, continuously offends in this regard. And, uh, that's something they really do have to have to look at and and possibly enforce in the future. 
Okay. Well, it will be interesting to see um, what happens uh, in you know the coming days, the coming weeks, and, and indeed into the future in terms of officiating in the GEA and uh, disciplinary panels and, and how it is uh, viewed. Colm Keyes uh, of the Irish Independent, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Uh, gents, just before we do take a break, David and Bernard, I just want to bring you in very briefly on your own respective sports. David, if, if you're speaking on behalf of Association Football and, and Bernard on behalf of, of Rugby Football. I mean, Colm alluded to there, and I think the FEI were very proactive in terms of, of trying to bring in uh, procedures, particularly in underage football as well to, to really cut out incidents of this in football yeah well like if you listen to it go to any kind of underage game and you'll see maybe say there can be parents on the line like I would play I would play adult football Sunday league in the UCFL and I'll be honest like it, it and referees might, say, might think differently but there's never a threat of violence I've never been, in the last say year 18 months that I've been involved in games I don't think I've ever once seen a referee physically yeah. assaulted in a in a football match like you get the it, usual it's back and forth like I, you get the usual where you have your, your chats I, I, I would always come from the point of view of you can get the re- referee on your side by just having a quiet word as the game is going along and like, yeah. whatever but it's it's clear that there's definitely issues. I remember being young, going for, going off to play games in England as a as a youngster, and it was the first time ever seeing the fact that the lines would be separated, where you'd have both you'd have both kind of teams on one line, and all the parents and all the families on on the other side, and it was they were trying to keep keep it kind of separated because like there would be issues, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like now. Like I, I haven't got kids of an age where I'm going to see underage football. You can, you can only go off some of the anecdotal stuff that you, that you hear. And but if, but if you take a walk down St Anne's or any local park or, or Phoenix Park or wherever, like you'll hear a bit of back chat with referees and all, which which is fine. Like and they'll mm. kind of give it back to you in in a nice manner because once it doesn't cross the line that's it it's crossing the line it's, it is you have to have that element of respect but also like, it's element of respect but also decency as a person where you know you know where that line is in terms of like let's be honest f- football any sport it's passions are going to be getting to a certain extent and they're going to be gone it's, it's about trying to not I should say cross cross that mm. line you see it now in the Premier League at the moment where like, Jurgen Klopp got sent off for the match of the weekend where he kind of gets in the line I think it's more so the linesman's face yeah. when a d- decision doesn't go his way and then he kind of afterwards he holds his hands up and accept it but like it's difficult it's one of them where like you can understand where it gets to a certain degree of passions or kind of Getting to that level, but it's trying to maintain, like, see, Bernard would know far more, especially in a professional environment, mm. of just how intense it can actually get. Yeah. I, I, like, Bernard, I know. Uh, I... I don't want to quote Nigel Owens, but I will. The whole "this isn't soccer, gents and all," and the respect to referees is, is completely different in in rugby at a professional level, at a top level as well. But even in, in underage rugby, I, I would suspect uh, look, that it, this is non-existent. We get a lot of credit for it, but it's something we need to be keep an eye on, you know, because there's um, it, it can sort of start to slip, um, and it's really important as as parents or, or coaches um, at underage level at junior level that we, we give a good example and we we try and make it easy for referees um, it's hard for them uh, you know um, and it's hard as sometimes as a coach you see something that you believe is wrong not to um, to call it out but uh, I, yeah I think we, we're just we're still we're still okay um, but it's something that can slip very quickly and um, I think I know the rugby authorities are very conscious of that and we're having problems with referees like even in the in the junior leagues um, you know, there's not enough linesmen now who are who are official linesmen to come and, and do games. It's back to one from each club. 
you know, nominated linesman, that can lead to some um, uh, contentious decisions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know yourself um, in terms of how far the ball was kicked out or was a foot and touch, etc. So, um, yeah, we're, we're it's it, referees are in short, in short. Uh, there's a shortage of referees, I think, in all sports at the moment, and it's because of the conditions they have to operate in. Yeah, no, it is, and as you mentioned there, I suppose it's maintaining standards, and yeah. that's what you want. And as Colin was alluding to there, and the David, it's about reaching those standards, perhaps in, in other sports, and uh, and maintaining them going forward. Um, we will be chatting football uh, with uh, David Snade of the 42.e in a few moments' time. So stay with us here in Game On Two FM. Game On Football. Now you are very welcome back to Game On. Shane Dawson here. David Snade standing across from me, keeping an eye on Arsenal. PSV Eindhoven, 27 minutes gone and it is nil all, but has it been a good nil all, as they say, David? Yeah, no, it's been decent so far. Arsenal have had a good chance there a second ago where Gabriel, oh sorry, not Gabriel, Gabriel, Gabriel Jesus, kind of just a little, just what he's really good at, he kind of used his body really well in the box, had a little look up, laid it off for uh, Zaka and he kind of shot, scuffed the shot wide, Arsenal on the attack, but... Um, it's been good from PSV or to give them their full name like Damien Duff Shelbourne it's Ruvan no Ru- no that's Ruvan Nistelrooy is PSV and like they're passing the ball pretty well like Arsenal now have kind of in a bit of possession but it's just been interesting to see them because they've actually had Arsenal pegged back a couple of times they got in behind once and had a shot pulled back as well but uh, it's just I was just saying just before we came back on there like at the age now where it's like lads watching growing up who are now managers and like Ruvan Nistelrooy was even was, was, was he a hero of yours I know you've a growl for Manchester United um, I would have a growl for yeah I'd have a like, it's a real graph for Ruvan Nistelrooy just because just an absolute beast of a striker just yeah, had everything yeah. I would say in terms of hold up play in the box like one of his goals remember he scored against Fulham where he just gets the ball deep and like swings the elbows out would be disallowed by VAR now obviously yeah. but like then runs half the length of the pitch to score an unbelievable goal and uh, but even listening to him talking about going into this game and like the year he signed for United was the year that Bukayo Saka was born Man, it's just like that's heartbreaking. The time that's is just going so, no. so, quickly, so, so quickly. But no, it's what we're coming up to half an hour in this game here. And yeah, it's decent. I think there will be goals in it because both sides do look dangerous when you get in around the box. And uh, but yeah, nil all with about half an hour, or about 15 minutes in the first half. Okay, well, we'll be uh, keeping an eye on that and keeping you up to date on any uh, scores in that uh, Europa League match. The only match on this evening, of course, uh, postponed due to the Queen's death a little bit uh, earlier on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, looking back at uh, last night's Premier League we mentioned uh, the Ronaldo saga at the top of the show because Manchester mm. United released a statement pretty much alluding to the exit of Christi- Cristiano Ronaldo soon like it seems that way doesn't it like I can't it's because he's, he's also at that stage in his career where it's not as if they're going to try and persevere because he's got so much more to offer and like it's coming up to I think he has the option for the year at the end of the season I would be flabbergasted if that's an option that is, is taken up it just seems now like he, he wanted to leave in the summer he didn't report back from for pre-season he kind of left it pretty late to kind of hand in his transfer request or put it made it be known that he wanted to leave there's been other issues as the season's gone on between stories getting leaked and all the rest of it and it's just I say if for United like yesterday you heard like Tan Hag talking about it last night where when it, one of the first questions brought up after the best result and the best performance of, of his tenure mm. and it's about Ronaldo and it, these are the kind of stuff now that he needs to get away from and United try and need to get away from after the last few years where it has just been a bit of a circus and it's always been about players and personalities kind of dominating the agenda rather than the man who should be dominating it by actually creating a team and that's the manager and that's now what United need to need to go back to and well, well let's talk about that in terms of because we don't know where he will end up obviously Man United released a statement Ronaldo walked off early he refused to go on he was 
acting yeah. petulant you know in, in layman's terms well the manager like Ten Hag has already been very pragmatic as a coach in the sense of he's realised like he's wanted him he's been happy for Ronaldo to go and in the summer as soon as Ronaldo made it be known mm. and it was the fact that once they weren't able to actually get a striker in and so actually we're watching PSV play here like Cody Gapko who's playing for PSV probably could have come in but he again he's a younger player who kind of well he's 23 plays off more so the wing and so Ten Hag has kind of realised well do you know what it wasn't a battle that he needed to win straight away by kind of making a point of actually banishing him he kind of had it in around the squad wasn't, wasn't starting every game came in and has kind of had him in around the place and it's kind of don't you would imagine how any coach should do it where they're like like if they had someone ready made to come in and replace him he probably would have been bombed out already like it just would have been the nature of it but mm. he was being pragmatic about it saying well you still have someone to offer but bit by bit Ronaldo is kind of he's forcing the exit himself and he's like you see you, you go on social media and you look at some of the reaction from fans like like it's very clear where a lot of fans loyalty seem to be in terms of where this is happening at the moment and like it's, it's interesting when you go back to the to last summer when he arrived at United like he was. It was almost as if he he actually ended up at United because the club said, "Well, you can't sully your legacy at this club by going and signing for Man City when Pep Guardiola apparently wanted him in mm. as a bit as a bit, a bit of a stopgap because well the Harry Kane transfer saga rumbled on. They could have realised early that they weren't going to get him. They obviously had Haaland in the background. knew he was pretty much going to come for this summer. So they were like, "Well, who can we get in as a bit of a stopgap?" They kind of did, and it was. You look at all the reports of it. They they spoke to Ronaldo. Ronaldo seemed keen. That then, that's when the old boys network at United seemed to kind of click into gear. You saw Rio Ferdinand on social media coming out and playing a part. He obviously had that influence. Alex Ferguson had that influence, and it looked as if everyone was set up for Ronaldo to have maybe this bit of a glorious return, a bit of a swan song, help United possibly qualify for the Champions League that didn't happen mm. maybe win a trophy that hasn't happened yet but now when they've replaced the manager obviously Solskjaer left just mad you think about what happened at the club over the last <laughs> year Solskjaer left like Ranić came in you're thinking that's probably the most disastrous caretaker job since Liz Truss like Liz <laughs> Truss has taken over that mantle fair play to her but now like you look what's happened with United and they've got a manager who you actually have a sense of a proper purpose and a plan, a plan everything that United have actually been lacking since Alex Ferguson left and Ten Hag has actually done that and he's been dealt with a really, really kind of big issue to deal with in terms of one of the greatest players of all time. And he's like dealt with it with a plum and he's let Ronaldo show himself up to be just a bit petulant. Of all the things thrown at Liz Truss, I didn't think we'd be taking the spotlight off Ralph Ranić, but here we are. Here we are. Um, I was just in my head because there's that there's that gift going around. Even this is where you feel bad for Ronaldo, where he's like turning into like a bit of a joke. The career he's had, and yeah, like you see the the jokes going on on Twitter about obviously yeah. him walking down the tunnel and Liz Truss obviously leaving down the street. So listen, that's the week we've had. I know, I know. And you making Twitter comments of um, the same duration as Brian Clough. As, oh, Liz Truss, yeah, 44 days. Yeah, 44 yeah. days. So she's going to win two European Cups in her next job, yeah. <laughs> I set you up for that one, David Snade. You can oh, thank well. me later. Um, overall then, how impressed were you with Manchester United's performance and how concerned would you be, if at all, if you were Antonio Conte with Spurs' performance? Like, if you take it from Spurs' point of view, I'd say it was probably you listen to some some of the people who cover sports on a regular basis and they're saying it's probably the worst performance under them this season like they've been poor in some games like I remember watching them against Nottingham Forest and they kind of were happy for Nottingham Forest to have the ball and they just hit them on the counter attack because they're just so lethal in terms of obviously Young Min Son absolutely sensational player Hardy Kane purely absolutely lethal and they've been happy to just give up that kind of possession in games whereas which the match last night and then like even just watching uh, the extended highlights of it again this morning and having a look at it they just offered very, very little. And then the comments from 
Conte afterwards where he's talking about you know United are a better team like Spurs finished above United last season and they kind of gone into this game or a few points above them in the league still above them in the league now like you would think everyone's always all you know it's very Spursy and all the rest of it and that was supposed to be what Conte was getting drilled out and that yeah. they weren't going in with an inferiority complex and yet you kind of was alluding to that now and that's that seems, seemed a bit strange. I don't think the nature of how they approached the game would have been a surprise to, to Spurs fans or people who watch Spurs regularly. But I would say just the lack of cutting edge was probably more so a bit of a worry. But then that would also come down to the fact that that was, without a doubt, United's best performance, especially under Ten Hag. But even, I can't remember the last time you've seen a United team play like that in terms mm. of consistent, consistently for the whole 90 minutes with an intensity. And not just lads going chasing the ball and being like just being a bit mad about it and kind of cutting headlights it was like it looked as if it was structured it looked as if you could see what they were trying to actually do and like it was a 2 nil battering it could have been 4 or 5 yeah. or if it wasn't for Hugo Lloris you know exactly so a long way from uh, the Brentfords and the Manchester City defeats and whatnot. But, but the thing is there could still be there could still be matches like that for a manager who's still kind of implementing stuff I don't think just it clicks like that and that's it perfect like, that, there could still be those little key pardon now they have well this is it like, like the guy was over at the game against uh, Omni and Nicosia mm. last week in the in the Europa League and it wasn't a great game but like it was in a game where you just sometimes you can you know you watch United and they've still been a bit vulnerable even when they've been maybe controlling certain games they've always had that little bit of vulnerability at the back or being cut open but with him he just not the quickest in the world but he doesn't have to because he just reads the game so well he just anticipates like he makes mistakes he, like he gives the ball away a lot more than I was expecting to watch him but like nothing phases him and he wins the ball back so quickly and he's just very good at actually reading the game and just I would say as a coach you'd be you know, the type of player you want because I just think he just gives a bit of a comfort to players around him and just makes players around him just feel a bit better about themselves and maybe if they give away the ball it's not the end of the world because he just has this aura of just a bit of calmness about him and yet he still can kind of get get the team playing sharply as well Absolutely uh, Liverpool are back as well they had a victory last night Chelsea held to a draw Newcastle defeated Everton and uh, Southampton picked up a 1-0 away win to Bournemouth and what I wanted to be the Irish goalkeeper derby but unfortunately Mark Travers uh, was on the bench Fulham Villa Leicester leads this evening very very briefly in 30 seconds or less Declan Devines Bohemians and Bucco is back good news for Bohemian Football Club Absolutely yeah like I'd say if you're looking at what some of the struggles for balls pretty much this season obviously Keith Long now has left and Derek Pender has alluded to kind of heart and soul of the of the club has kind of been gone on, on the pitch for the last while Keith Buckley just brings that back long term contract for him and Declan Devine at Derry City just has a track record of just just bringing that just bringing that kind of solidity to a club and actually mm. getting them that kind of foothold and yeah I think for, for the rest of the season and into next season once they recruit well I think balls can be um, balls, balls fans can be excited again it's like Declan the Vines balls like if, if that's oh, the narrative you're going yeah, with yeah. yeah okay well uh, the 42 is David Snade thank you very much yeah, no, for joining no. us we will be chatting uh, rugby with Brendan Jack in a few moments time stick with us here Game on Rugby now, Bernard Jackman is still in studio alongside me to chat rugby. Bernard, a big weekend in the BKT United Rugby Championship. Connacht face Scarlets tomorrow evening at 7.35pm. Sharks welcome Ulster to South Africa at, uh, on Saturday at quarter past five. And of course, there is the small matter of Leinster versus Munster at a quarter past five. This big Interpro rivalry. Is it still a rivalry or is this just one-way traffic now? Look at I think um, if these two teams were, were, were playing a game of chess, um, it'd be, it, there'd be rivalry. But it, look at it, it's become a little bit one-sided. But you're always waiting for that day when um, the tides turns. And um, you know, from a Munster fans' point of view, Munster players' point of view, they know one 
away win, one you know marquee win could could change the whole dynamic of it. Like kind of happened in two thousand nine in that semi final in Croke Park um, when you know Leinster were massive underdogs. Um, Munster looked unbeatable, and 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 since then it's been pretty much one way traffic to be honest. So Munster will be buoyed by the performance last week. Um, some young players starting to come through, trying to play a new brand of rugby. I just think you can't see it happening tomorrow or Saturday against Leinster. I think Leinster are unbeaten this season um, and, and will actually be disappointed with, in some aspects of their performance against Connacht in terms of their attacking game. I know the weather conditions were poor, but um, but from a Munster point of view, Leinster's defence looked very organised and um, hard to break down. And that could be the challenge for Munster as they still... Their attack was much better against the Bulls, but there were still a few timing issues. Just wasn't all in place, as you would expect with with Joey only coming back into ten and a new attack coach. So, I think Munster will go there with nothing to lose. Um, How will they approach it? They go with nothing to lose, and and maybe perhaps realistically, will be hoping for a a good performance to, to back up last week's performance. But in terms of a game plan, how how will they approach it? Look, at the, the problem is probably for them to to get better they need to stick to doing what they're doing which is trying to play um, a more open brand of rugby trying to get the ball to the edges more often and quicker I don't think that's the right thing to do against Leinster this week um, when you look at the teams that beat Leinster they don't actually play a lot um, Ulster came to the RDS last year um, played a, a very smart tactical game plan where they kept the ball um, high down a 15 metre challenge didn't really create many uh, breakdowns and just put pressure on Leinster and put a squeeze on them and they ended up winning and they ended up winning so um, but for Munster's development you know for Mike Prendergast to say to his team look at you know we're going to we're going to close things down we're going to we're going to take less risks. That that would be counterproductive. Well, it could be. Look at when you when you think about what, how they're going to beat Ulster next week. They probably want to play against Ulster. So, um, and and they want to get better. You know, they want to get better at it. And the best way to get better at it is to is to put it in place against better teams and and see what works, see what doesn't work. So, uh, and let's be honest, Munster probably can't do that at training because they don't have the depth to of quality. Whereas Leinster, when Leinster go AVBs. You know, I would argue Leinster's second string could be top six in the competition. Um, so they get to perfect things probably on a Tuesday or Thursday, whereas it's harder for the other teams who don't have that depth, don't have as many internationals. So um, I just think Munster need to have a go. I mean, the last performance, the last outing Munster Leinster in the Viva was a bit of a rout, and it was Leinster's mm-hmm. second string. So I don't think they can get in the bus afterwards um, and go back down the road with such a tepid performance. They need to um, get stuck into Leinster. They need to be throw some shots, fire some shots. And, and I think they will. I think this coaching team are, are brave and, and they want to. Um, and look, at, uh, you know, things could click into place. They have some quality players. Um, I think they'll miss Calvin Nash, obviously, Ards and Conway are out. So they're missing a few. Um, but, yeah, it's an Irish derby and, and you would expect it to be tight and ferocious. From a Leinster perspective then, um, obviously you mentioned that, that victory against Connacht and in typical Connacht fashion, of course, there was the wind and the rain and everything else to contend with. So it was a, a low scoring match, but it was a win nonetheless. How will they be approaching this match and, and how will they be fixed? Because they'll be full of confidence. So what will they be working on this week? Oh, look, I think they'll, they'll have seen areas of Munster's defence not so much last week against the Bulls but previous to that that they will fancy their chances of, of exploiting Sexton had a rest last weekend he didn't go to Galway he was exceptionally good against the Sharks and they played a very fast um, high tempo attacking game and scored 54 points so they'll they'll be eager to 
to blow Munster away um, mm. because that's what champion teams do is they go out and they show um, their strength and they show their superiority and you try and mentally scar teams um, that you content- that you see yourself contending with so I think they're their ambition um, will be will be high. Uh, their motivation will be high, and I think, like so Furlong getting a you know forty minutes last week. Um, a lot of their internationals are now starting to get time under under the belt. November's only two weeks away. They'll be playing against South Africa. So, um, and let's be honest, you know the majority of the Leinster team to play Saturday, even though it's not announced yet, will be starting for Ireland um, against South Africa. So that's the challenge Munster have. They know how good Leinster can be, um, and they just got to try and make sure that they come. Uh, with the right attitude but also uh, a smart plan Caelan Doris mentioned uh, when he was up uh, in front of the media about that you know international selections will certainly add a, an extra aspect an extra dimension uh, to it like in real terms will it be a case of extra motivation not extra motivation but conscious the fact that um, the person opposite you want your jersey and they are in the decision making um, selection pot of, of Andy Farrell so Peter Manny you know is he is he going to play seven he was brilliant in New Zealand um, but Josh van der Fleer is outstanding but Peter Manny playing at six could force Caelan Doris into eight if Jack Conan doesn't have a big game uh, Gavin Coombs would have something to say Kilcoyne um, he's in the Ireland A, uh, a squad but mm. you know he would see himself as being a pushing towards um, the World Cup Casey you know, if Casey gets the nod, Gibson, Jameson Gibson Park hasn't played yet this season. He's the most like for like replacement. Gibson Park's been picked for Ireland, but he hasn't played. I mean, it's a great chance for Casey. Um, you know, that they're the kind of fellas um, that would see this as a big opportunity to get one over. Um, you know, uh, the guy who has the Irish jersey at the moment. Lots of narratives to Leinster Munster, a game you can see live on RT2 and the RT player from 4.30pm on Saturday and you can listen to live commentary on RT Radio 1 uh, as well on Saturday. Um, unfortunately, Sharks and Ulster is going up against it because yeah. probably the other game of the, game of the weekend as well. How big a test will this be for Ulster and can they come away with a, a positive result? Yeah, I think they can. I mean, their Ulster's attack is, is absolutely flying. Uh, 39 points against the Lions, 55 points uh, over in Scarlet's a few weeks ago. Um, but this Sharks team, it's the strongest Sharks team that they've picked, uh, I'd say, ever. Uh, they went on a heavy recruitment drive over the summer. Some of the Springboks came off the bench last week against Glasgow. Uh, were very impressive Estebet in particular um, and I t- they're fully loaded from the start this weekend I think this is a big challenge for, for Ulster and I, I think for Dan McFarland it's going to give him a real um, temperature check of where they are against the big contenders for trophies Okay, well it'll be a litmus test in that regard uh, Sharks, Ulster, quarter past five as well but tomorrow evening 7.35 Connacht versus Scarlets are we at a case now where like, there's no more excuses. You, they've had the tough start of the yeah. season. They've they've played Leinster, so you know one of the best teams in club rugby. But now they need a performance and they need a win. Yeah, no, I think so, and I think they'll get it. To be honest, I think there's been a lot to like about how they've uh, performed over the last two weeks. A win against Munster, a, a, a defeat to Leinster, but went down with their uh, with their boots on. Um, their pack looked more physical. And their defensive line is very strong. Uh, Keen Prendergast comes back in at the start obviously he'd been away with, Emer- uh, with Emerging Ireland um, I would expect them to hit their straps in terms of their attacking game which hasn't been hasn't been flying so far this season um, but if they do they will score points because the Scarlets are very porous defensively mm. um, Scarlets have been poor this is a game Connacht should see as five points and probably need to get five points because um, you know they're, they're chasing their tail a little bit 
not their own fault not their fault it's not going to get any easier either yeah because look <laughs> at the, the nature of it is it's always harder for Connacht because um, in their pool they play the, the other three provinces three times or twice each mm. so um, it's a harder harder for them to accumulate points than Glasgow and Edinburgh who are in with Treviso and Zebra for example yeah. um, so they really need to make um, make gains when they don't play Irish when they play non-Irish teams and this is a, a must win game Okay, well it will be interesting to see as I mentioned uh, Connacht Skylets tomorrow 7.35 Sharks Ulster Saturday quarter past five and Leinster Munster the RT televised game Saturday at a quarter past five Bernard Jackman thank you very much we will be saying bonjour to Shane Stokes because the Tour de France could be potentially returning to Ireland Game on on 2FM well, you're very welcome back to the final part of uh, this evening's Game On as we turn our attention to cycling in the company of uh, Irish Times cycling correspondent Shane Stokes. Shane, uh, thanks for taking the call. Uh, some good news for cycling because the island of Ireland intends to pursue a joint north-south bid to host the opening stages of a future Tour de France in either 2026 or 2027. Catherine Martin, TD, Minister for Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gweltocht, Sport, Media uh, and Minister Gordon Lyons, MLA have submitted an expression of interest in the formal bidding process to deter organisers. Officials in both departments will now collaborate on the development of a detailed bid to host the event, as I mentioned, ideally in either 2026 or 2027. Shane, how realistic is it that we will see a deter back in Ireland for the first time since 1998? It's interesting because uh, until yesterday, um, nobody, certainly within cycling, um, the, the cycling world, journalism, journalists, etc., I think knew anything about it. It came as a complete surprise yesterday. It seemed to have gone to the political correspondents who, who heard about it before. Um, I think many people within the sport as well. So it was, it was quite out of the blue, but it sounds serious. You know, you've got politicians from both sides of the border and also the Irish um, um, Minister for Sport Jack Chambers um, saying that they were fully behind it and they were committed to to making this happen. They spoke about the obviously the sporting benefits, um, but also cultural and uh, the, the tourism aspects, um, etc. So it's a multifaceted um, goal, I guess, in terms of, of the possible return. Um, and what's interesting is that the tour has only been held once, or only started, um, or indeed held once before in Ireland in 1998. The first three days were, were here. Um, and the only other time a Grand Tour, uh, one of cycling's three, three-week races, um, took place in Ireland was when the Giro d'Italia started in 2014 and that also was a cross-border um, matter. The first two days started and finished in Belfast and then the third day crossed the border and finished in Dublin. So, yeah, so there's, there's not a huge amount of history um, in terms of Grand Tours in Ireland, but given the political clout behind this, um, I'd imagine the bid is a serious one um, and, and time will tell how successful it is. How big of an honour is it for a country to host an event like this? And, and in real terms, like what will it do for, for cycling in Ireland? Yeah, no, it's a big deal for sure. The Tour de France is, is huge. It's, it's often said to be the biggest annual sporting event in the world. Um, and, and, you know, it's, um, every second year tends to be uh, to start from outside the French, French border, so um, Copenhagen this year. And uh, there's generally huge benefits for the, um, the countries that host it in terms of I suppose media coverage, TV coverage, etc. But also, um, each time there's uh, in the wake of these races being held, there are glowing financial reports released in terms of the benefits to the economy and the benefits to tourism, etc. 
So it's definitely a big deal um, if it happens. And what's interesting, and I only thought of this today, but just with Brexit and with the whole situation in in Britain, um, Britain has hosted the tour on, on several occasions, but you would have to imagine that um, Brexit and, and, and just the political turmoil there maybe would make it a little bit less certain as a destination and maybe that uh, gives Ireland an additional boost as, as you know, the English-speaking country um, on, on the edge of Europe. Um, yeah, and in terms of for Irish cycling, what does it mean? It'll mean a lot, actually, if it happens because... In 1998, there was no, there were no Irish riders in the top echelon of the peloton. It just was a lull period after Kelly and Roach. In 2014, when the Giro d'Italia started here, you had Dan Martin and Nicholas Roach in the race, and Dan Martin actually crashed out on the opening day in the team time trial. Um, so Nicholas was the only one that that, that continued on after that um, from Ireland. Uh, but next time around, you know, there's, there's, there's um, obviously. Sam Bennett is, is the name that springs to mind, but you also have Eddie Dunbar, Ryan Mullen, and Ben Healy um, as strong riders in, in the peloton. And then you've up-and-coming guys like Archie Ryan, who had a fantastic season. He's he's a young climber. And then Darren Rafferty, who's his first year in the under-23 ranks, also had a very good season. And there's you know, there may be others as well, but you could, you could see those six potentially being um, at the tour start and, and maybe even more than that. So, yeah, you'd, you'd only imagine that that would further increase the Irish interest in the race. I have to ask, what were the memories of 98? I know you were a young man at the time, Shane. Uh, I actually covered that. It was my first time to, to cover the tour, so I covered that. And it was, I have to say, I mean, you know, I, I grew up cycling, racing, etc. And I came back ter- thoroughly demoralised because 1998, um, people that follow the sport will know that that coincided with the Fina Fair where there was drug busts and just scandals throughout the three weeks. There was a doubt that the race you know, might even, whether or not the race would even make it to Paris. So it was a thoroughly depressing time. Um, and what's encouraging is that you know most people, most observers of the sport believe that things are in a much better place now. Um I don't know if you can ever say that any sport, not just cycling, but any sport is, is fully clean. But I think things are, are vastly improved. There's a lot of anti-doping testing. Probably the strongest, the toughest of any sport in the world. You've got nighttime raids are allowed under cycling's rules. Um, cycling brought in a ban on the painkiller tramadol before WADA. WADA has just introduced it, but cycling had that already in place. There's a biological passport. So there's a lot of measures that have been taken which would give you um, reassurance that things are a lot better than they were in 1998. And, you know, it was, you know, the country put in, it cost millions to, to have a tour bid or, or to, to stage the tour um, in a country. You're talking about a very big investment. And obviously that was disastrous for, for Ireland um, at, the, at the time because it was a really, uh, really, it couldn't have been more negative in terms of, of the, the press coverage, etc. Um, and they will very much hope that this time around things will be a lot better and that that um, the race will be a success. Yeah, certainly, hopefully, there will be an air of positivity around it. You mentioned a couple of Irish riders there that hopefully will be featuring uh, prominently uh, come 2026 or 2027, and it will uh, be interesting to see. Uh, perhaps this may pave the way for other sports events uh, in, a, in a joint bid in terms of the island of uh, Ireland. So we are talking uh, and looking into the future, but the here and now, Shane Stokes, um, really good news because Ronan Grimes uh, is true to the individual individual pursuit final at the Paris Cycling World Track Championships. That's right. Roland has had a fantastic season. Um, he competes in the C4 category in paracycling. 
Um, and he won the European Road Race Championships this year, which was his first really big breakthrough win. And then followed that up with the World Road Race Championships in Canada in August. So he's had a phenomenal season and he's headed now into the World Track, the, the Paracycling Track World Championships, which is in Paris on the same track that will be used for the 2024 Olympic Games and Paralympic Games. And he's finished second of 17 riders in the in the qualifiers for the individual pursuit. The final will be on this evening. And that's part of a full uh, event Omnium um, race. So so earlier today, he was seventh in the flying 200-meter time trial. And basically, the, the combined results from the, the four events um, will determine the outcome of the Omnium, which in turn will will help qualify bikes for, for next year's um, World Championships and, and count towards the Paralympics as well. So it's it's important just beyond today's results, like it's, it's got longer term implications as well. So yeah, it's very encouraging and um, he set a new national record this morning in the flying 200 metre, as did Chris Burns and uh, Rick Timothy as well. Um, and uh, yeah, just just a really good showing by, by, by the team. Brilliant. Well, on that uh, positive note, we shall end our conversation there. Shane Stokes, I should say, of the Irish Times, uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us.